Ahoy Mets fans! Welcome to episode 282 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you so much for joining us this week. First up, myself and Chris McShane talk about the Mets 4-2 and two homestand and what that means for the team going forward, as well as answer a uh, listener question and talk about the rotation over the next week. Enjoy. Well, Chris, uh, since we last spoke, the Mets have gone 4-2, and two, which sounds really good, except that their most recent game, which happened tonight, we're recording on uh, Wednesday the 23rd of May, uh, Jay Reeves-Familia blew the save, and the Mets lost 2-1 to one to the Marlins after Jacob DeGrom pitched a beauty of a game. And so it's a little bit hard to be super happy about the Mets at this very moment. But let's sort of take the overall big picture. Over the course of six games, there was really only one game the Mets were really out of, and that was last night's game. And even that wasn't a total blowout. So do you feel better about where the Mets are today than you did last Thursday? when you, me, and Allison talked about the state of the Mets at that point. Uh, can I can I say yes and no? Sure, I have reasons for, for both. <laughs> so yes, because um, as hard as it is to come out of the game tonight feeling good, uh, I think the frustrating thing about that game, uh, other than the obvious, <clears throat> you know, they, excuse me, they, Take a, a a late lead, albeit a slim one, blow it, um, despite getting somewhat of a reprieve when Familia, uh, you know, gave up the tying run, but Conforto threw out the would have right. been the go ahead run, and then he gives up the go ahead run anyway. Uh, that's frustrating, but to me, you know, I, I didn't expect them to go nineteen and zero against the Marlins this year or eighteen. Uh, you know, if anybody out there wants but to be. <laughs> pedantic about the schedule i don't know which one of those two numbers it is but uh you know the in any given series you've had them beat the marlins four times out of four going into tuesday night uh they lose that game and you go all right you know even the marlins are going to win maybe 55 60 games this year whatever some of them are going to happen against the mets it's fine and then they go and lose tonight in the fashion they did and you're (laughs) like uh That doesn't feel good. Um, I guess what's so if I'm I'm looking at do I feel better about them in in a positive, uh, in in an affirmative kind of way? Uh, it's the combination of the fact that you know Vargas and Wheeler uh, both turned out pretty good starts in their last times out. Um, you know the the little scare that we had with Degrom. Uh, you know, in the, the hyperextension of the elbow, uh, that seems like a distant memory now. He's been phenomenal. After the weird one inning, you know, start when he came back from it, he's looked really, really good. And, and the funny thing tonight was that it, it, you you take it, him for granted sometimes, so it feels ridiculous to say this. But I was like, he was really good, but he wasn't like Degrom really good. Um, and, and I don't mean that in an insulting way. You know, seven innings, no runs, eight strikeouts, two walks. Derek Dietrich got himself hit by two pitches, so I don't hold that against Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> um, but, you know, just little things where, uh, 
were so spoiled with him. You know, he'd fall behind a guy maybe, not like his pitch count was going up, but, you know, uh, the way he pitches, I just go to that, like, all-star game to Grom uh, mode, you know, where I'm I'm not disappointed, but, uh, like, the, the, the bar is so high that what is an amazing start for 99% of pitchers in baseball, I'm like, yeah, that was pretty good right. to Grom, you know? Uh, but, you know, he's put that behind us for now. Uh, you know, you never know what's with, with anybody, um, you know, what the future holds. But right now, we have a healthy DeGrom. And, you know, that that combined with those two pitchers looking better, uh, that makes me feel a little bit better about where they are. Uh, and, and that and the fact that they beat the Diamondbacks. And, you know, if you wanted to sort of... Uh, diminish that and say, oh, A.J. Pollock was out. Yeah, that is obviously significant, but so were Cespedes and Frazier uh, and Plawecki. Even, you know, I'm, I'm, there's different <laughs> levels here. But, you you know, you add these guys all up, and I, I don't know the Diamondbacks roster that well to know if they had other maybe role-player-type guys who were hurt at the time that they came through. Um, but, you know. There were there were losses on both sides, and the Mets won that series. So, you know, they beat a team that had gotten off to a good start and um, was still in first place through that series. Uh, you know, they they had a winning home stand. Uh, the Blue Jays are nothing to sneeze at. You know, they're not the Red Sox or the Yankees, but they're not a terrible team. Um, you know, so overall, despite being banged up. Uh, you know, they look, they look pretty, you know, pretty good despite that. Um, so I guess that's, that's my positive take. My, my negative is, uh, I don't know when and where things will start to click in the lineup without Frazier and Cespedes. Um, I think that's probably everybody's biggest concern, you know, coming off a couple of games where they really struggled Four to score. Four runs in three games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, look, it is frustrating that Familia blew the save tonight. I was actually in the car uh, on the way back from a work thing, so I wasn't watching. But it sounded like Familia just was off tonight. Does that sound about right? Uh, yeah, you know, and, and from where I was sitting, it's always harder to tell when you're, like, down the baseline as opposed to behind home plate or in center field. Um, but, you know, he just uh, – he's had such a good season. You know, he's looked like his best dominant old self, and it just wasn't there. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, the, he had a chance. He, he was ahead 0-2 on uh, Starlin Castro before he gave up the hit that – gave the Marlins the the lead and ultimately right. the win. No, but what, what um, I was going to say was that, you know, while it's certainly upsetting to have Familia blow the save, to me that is that is far less upsetting than the fact that this Mets lineup against this Marlins team couldn't put up more than a run tonight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and they... They had their, they had some opportunities, um, 
and it just hasn't really been clicking. Uh, you know, they uh, Nimmo had by far the best game, and it, that was good. He had gotten into like a, a mini slump. Um, you know, a few bad games isn't something to freak out over for anybody. Uh, you know, but he just had a little stretch where he wasn't uh, doing the things that he does best. And then, you know, tonight was a really nice game for him. Uh, got on base three times, hit a home run that was a no-doubter, you know, that, that went into the first row of the, uh, let's be accurate here, Coca-Cola <laughs> corner. The Coke Den. Oh, is that what... Are, are, uh, Are we calling there, it that? There was something yeah. a while back about, uh, I think it was on Twitter, of, of how, what they were going to call it. and s- Somebody's just the token, uh, yes. which I, I appreciated. Yeah, so there we go. So that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It's I don't want to freak out too much over it, which is very on brand for me. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, we know, and Conforto's hit yes, better yes, recently. Games. Uh, you know, so that that helps. But like, we know Conforto is better than what his season line is. We know, uh, or at least I'm pretty confident that Jay Bruce is better than what his season line is. Um, you know, some guys who are clearly going to get a lot of playing time with Ligaris out likely for the season and Cespedes out for an indefinite period of time, you know, two of them uh, have not lived up to what we know they're capable of. Uh, you know, so that gives me some cause for optimism. You know, just that Conforto has started to turn it around. Bruce hasn't, but they both should end up being closer to their career norms by the, uh, you know, the end of the season. Um. And yeah, yeah, that, that's where I am right now. Yeah, I guess I'm not too far off from there. the The offense is alarming, if only because we are no longer in the first few weeks of the season, where you can sort of make an excuse for everybody's just sort of getting used to the season, getting the rust out, that sort of thing. To me, that excuse is gone. What's alarming is that, with the exception of you know Nimmo and Cabrera it seems like nobody is getting hot just yet. Uh, and like you said, you know, there are some uh, there are some reasons to be optimistic, but you would think at this point in the season another player or two would be would be hitting well. And so I'm sure it can be chalked up to bad luck, to BABIP, to any number of things that are that are contributing to this, but it just seems a little odd that no one is really catching fire right now, of those, of those sort of top tier superstar talents. And granted, you know, like you said, um, both Frazier and Cespedes are now on the DL. But before that happened, none of neither them nor uh, Conforto nor Bruce had really had a stellar start to the season. Let's say, right. Yeah, I mean, Cespedes was driving in runs like crazy, um, still leading the team, uh, despite now having missed some time. Uh, but yeah, you, we're in a spot where, you know, you look at stuff and like Flores has been fine, uh, Gonzalez has been fine, uh, but, you know, you're in a lineup now that has Nimmo and Cabrera are uh, by far the two best hitters on the team to this point of this season. 
Uh, Fraser's out. Cespedes is out. Ligaris, who hit well, even though I didn't really think it was sustainable. Um, 392 Babbitt probably agrees with me there. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't know how long you could hit the hit that way with without hitting for power and all that. But that's all a moot point. But you know, you're you're kind of in a spot where. Um, you know, two guys who have been really good and two guys who have been fine, you know, that's only four out of your eight position players. I mean, Mesoraco's gotten off to a nice start uh, in terms of power hitting. You know, he hasn't gotten on base much and certainly doesn't have that many hits. Um, you can yeah, hit a ball a long yeah. way. You know, it, like one thing coming out of tonight, Mesoraco just missed... And I mean, it's not like it was like a foot left of the foul pole. It was foul. But he hit a ball a long way that he, you know, fraction of a second uh, a little early on to left field. And then Gonzalez hit a ball a long way. Uh, same thing, just a little too early on. And, you know, I know long foul balls don't count for anything at all. Um, but just little things that, that sometimes add the ballpark look different right. than they do on TV. Um, you know, if Mezzarocco, uh, you know, if he stays healthy is the biggest question and it always has been in his career. Um, you know, we, we know there's power there. The dude hit 25 home runs in a season before the baseball uh, was totally not juiced. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, it, it's just they could use a stretch – because uh, in some of the wins recently, they have scored, and, and obviously not these most recent ones, but they've had games where they've scored, you know, five or six runs in a win. Um, and then they've had just this weird thing. They did it in San Diego while I was there, and then they did it again against the Blue Jays. You know, uh, score double-digit runs, demolish the other team, and either the night before or the night after, uh, the opposite happens. Yeah, it, it's been a very weird offensive season. Um, but, but you know, the, the Mets made a minor move this week to address some of that by signing Jose Bautista to a one-year major league contract for the veteran league minimum. Uh, Bautista most recently was with the Braves. He was uh, released after batting under 200 in his limited playing time there. Um, this is a... A, to call it a polarizing move is probably to undersell it considerably. We had a piece on Amazing Avenue today by uh, Lucas Vlahos talking about why it's a mistake. We're going to have a piece tomorrow today. We listened to this by Aaron York defending the piece, defending the signing rather. And, you know, um, I personally fall somewhat, I think, in between those two guys. I, I think that if. He is taking playing time away from Nimmo, Conforto, Bruce, or Cespedes. That's probably a mistake. But if and you know, and Lucas made a good point that as of late, his career splits have been more or less even, if not a little bit towards a reverse platoon split. So just using him against lefties is probably not going, not looking at where he's most useful at this point in his career. But if, if he's playing, you know, a limited role and, you know, and is still, you know, hitting balls a long way, well, then I'm I'm more or less okay with the signing. 
I don't necessarily think that fifth outfielder was the place they had to really improve right away. There are other places I would have improved upon first. But I understand that at a certain point you have to take advantage of what's available to you. And the fact that the Mets have gotten for for very, very cheap Adrian Gonzalez, Devin Mesoraco, and now Jose Bautista... And there's a chance that all three can contribute to the major league team without costing them a ton of money. You know, I don't, I don't love a team being this old, but if the results are even somewhat there, I can't get too mad at it. Um, where do you fall on this signing? So, to me, and I think some of the criticism of it has gone this way. Um, but I think the criticism should basically be that they wound up in a spot that it was enticing to do this. You know, not not that they did it. Given the uh, you know the current state of the roster, the very left-handed heavy, uh, left-handed hitting heavy outfield, uh, you know, general lack of offense. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on board with it. At the very least, he should be a better hitter than Jose Reyes. Um, you, you know, you saw it a little bit tonight where Bautista was a pinch hitter um, and Reyes was a pinch runner. And at some point when the team gets healthy, uh, I know which one of the two players right. that I would keep. Uh, so, yeah, in, in isolation, you know, they just don't have guys in the upper minors who I think are – uh, a, a better bet to be able to play the outfield and maybe a little third base. I, I still don't get what the Braves were doing with the whole Bautista third base thing as the, like their plan. The reverse um, Jones. Yeah. But yeah, whatever, whatever the case, uh, you know, I'm on board with it. And I think the fear, you know, the criticism was, was focused on the fact that they wound up in this spot. Um, I mean, the one thing I would say to counter that is that the Mets had a very clear uh, five-man outfield. So it was probably not easy to find, you know, guys who would say, yeah, sure, I'll go play in Las Vegas and, you know, just hope that something works out, um, you know, when they could probably find a, a more significant role elsewhere. Uh, and, it, you know, obviously guys get hurt. That's nothing new. Uh, for the Mets or for any team, really. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's it's that I think is where the criticism really focuses. And then uh, as far as looking ahead goes, there's a lot of the fear that you know, oh, he's going to take time away from Nimmo or Conforto. Uh, you know, it's and I, I think Mickey Callaway, the way he spoke about him after he started. Uh, the the Tuesday night game maybe could have calmed down some of those fears, and uh, you know we'll we'll see. But I'm I'm hoping that you know he he only plays against left-handed starters. That you know he's uh, he's in there, and either Bruce or Gonzalez is out. Yeah, you know we were talking. You and I were talking via Slack earlier today about this. And uh, I was saying how, to me, this is more about Adrian Gonzalez than anybody else in a weird way. 
because if Gonzalez had not been signed and the Mets were playing Jay Bruce at first base, there may not then they might have been able to go out there and sign a better fourth outfielder in the off season than than what they were able to do because they but they instead decided to go with Adrian Gonzalez, which poor which pushed you know Bruce back to the outfield, and uh, you know has somewhat led us into the position that we're in now. Lucas also said this, and this has sort of been one of my refrains about Gonzalez as well, is that if the Mets were the type of team that would take a flyer on a player and then cut bait if they're not good, I'd be totally fine with this move, but we all know the Mets don't do that. The Mets hold on to their veteran players for far too long. See Reyes, Jose. And so that somewhat alarms me with the move because, you know, it's bad enough that the Mets are going to be carrying Reyes, likely for the whole season, to carry Bautista with him if they're both not performing along with Gonzalez, who may not be performing, is just a depressing thought. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, hopefully we don't end up going down that road, uh, at least not with all three, you know? And this is just something that sort of may seem off-topic, but as I'm thinking about, you know, the right-handed hitter playing against the lefties and all that, one thing that's sort of come up a little bit, and I think we've heard it on the broadcast and, I feel like I've heard it with, uh, I may have heard a fan complaining about it tonight, and who knows what goes on on sports radio, any sports talk radio anymore. Uh, but I'm sure there's something there, too. Uh, Wilmer Flores is splits against lefties in, well, I guess, as we near the end of May. Uh, please don't read into them, anybody. Like, they're not, splits are weird and take a long time to really mean anything. Uh, and, and one in a single year, you can just have weird splits, even though you're overall, you right. know, a lefty killer. Uh, but certainly platoon splits at this stage of the season should not make you draw any conclusions. So if you're concerned that Wilmer Flores can't hit lefties anymore, just take a deep breath. Yeah. Please. It's also not like he hasn't had a hit against the lefty this year. Right. He hasn't had a home run, but, you know. He, I mean, the, the line is bad, but, uh, again, it, it's 49 plate yeah. appearances. You know, take a step back, zoom out. That, to me, is the overarching principle of Baseball statistical analysis. Look at the bigger picture. That's my mini Wilmer Flores rant. Behind that. Um, anything else about the last six games you want to talk about? Um, Vargas was good see. for a start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, and um, you know they they need that. It doesn't have to be five scoreless every time, but he's like. You want him to be Mr. Quality Start, really. And, you know, as much as that gets mocked and everything, uh, you know, if if your back-end starter is giving you six innings, and even five sometimes, uh, and, you know, zero, one, two, three runs, you're never out of that game. Yeah, absolutely. 
or at least at least unless the bullpen goes and gives up right. you know a yeah. whole bunch of runs after him but to, to the point that he's in the game uh you know if he's doing that you're never out of it and i i think that sometimes gets lost and i'm i'm not like here to proclaim quality starts the best stat on the planet they're not but you know the the criticism is like oh that's a 4.5 era yeah it is but in the context of a single game you know uh even for the mets right now it's not impossible to put together a three-run inning (laughs) you know it kind of happens frequently in the in the game so yeah quality start not the perfect stat but also not um Again, if your starter does give you six innings of three runs or, or less, as, as you put it perfectly, you're in the game. And that's all you're looking for. At least that's all I'm looking for from a fourth or fifth starter, just to keep the team in the game. Right. Yeah, and that, that was sort of, you know, Callaway, I think, after that game had said, hey, that's, that's why we signed Jason Vargas, you know, to go out there and, and do. And I think he meant more, you know, along the lines of what we're saying, go out there just be a confident major league starting pitcher uh, and that that goes a long way yeah absolutely absolutely all right well we have um we have a quick uh twitter question i mentioned this at the end of last week's show we missed this it's from our friend andy and andy has this to say he said uh, david johnson said when he was pushing for doc gooden to make the team his rookie season frank cashin finally agreed that johnson would promise to not let doc bat left-handed what do you think about making DeGrom bat right-handed to take some of the stress off his elbow when swinging? Um, Chris, why don't you start with this one? Um, I'm not on board uh, just because, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm forever scarred by Reyes only batting from one side of the plate to get around an injury. Back in his original stint with the Mets, and it, not that it was his idea or his fault, but something that they came up with. Uh, I, I just don't like the idea of making a guy do something that's yeah. unnatural to him. I'd much rather send him up and hit uh, from the left side of the plate and not swing. And then tonight, he uh, he swung the bat pretty hard too, um, you know. But I'd much rather send him up and say, "Hey, go ahead, don't swing," than go stand on the side of the plate that you're not used to. Yeah, it would be one thing if he was a natural switch hitter, but we're not aware of that. Right. Like, right-handed Jacob deGrom could still do 100 oh, times better than of me. Course. No offense to you, <laughs> but, you know. But, but I... Well, no, but, you know. And again, 100 times, literally, better. Uh, but, but yeah. Uh, has he swung a bat right-handed in his life, ever? I don't know, you know. Yeah. So yeah, do you uh, <laughs> do you, would you experiment no, with that at all? I, or? You know, I I am really not a DH guy, but this is a pretty convincing. You know, if you were trying to convince me of why you should uh, of why the DH is a good idea, just because it doesn't it doesn't put your pitcher in a position to get himself hurt doing something that's secondary or even tertiary to why he's on the team. Um, you know, that said, I don't love the idea of knowing that the ground is going up there not swinging, because if I know that, then other teams know that, and then that's, you know, one-ninth of the Mets lineup, at least the first two times through the order, 
is is an automatic out as long as the pitcher can put the ball over the plate. And if there's no risk in the ground swinging, there's no incentive to not put the ball over the plate. Um, so that's not great, but that's okay. I'm more okay with that than putting him in a position where he's doing something unnatural where he could hurt himself seriously. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I think we're on the, yeah. uh, the same no page takes, on this no one. <laughs> over here. Um, all right, Chris, you had suggested this as sort of a nice way to wrap up our segment tonight. And I agree. So the Mets have a double header on Monday, which means they're going to need to do something, pitch somebody beyond their five starters for that sixth game in five days. So tomorrow night we have Steven Matz, Friday Thor, uh, Saturday Vargas, Sunday Wheeler, and then DeGrom will start one of the two games doubleheader, but there's another game to consider. So Chris, if you were Mickey Callaway and you could make the lineup card and you could arrange the pitchers however you want for Monday, what are you doing for that second game or for, for whatever game DeGrom isn't pitching on Monday? Are you calling somebody up in AAA? Are you stringing it together with bullpen pieces? How are you going to get through that game? Uh, well, it's funny, the the little note there, I think, kind of factors into this, too. I would have DeGrom start the day game, uh, not only because, you know, it's kind of a fun fact thing that you hear when he starts a day game, uh, that he's been historically great in day games, but not for that reason, but uh, to have him go out there, and not that you're going to you know, max him out beyond what you're comfortable with, but have him go out and see, hey, is he going to go throw a you know, seven, eight, nine inning game? Uh, and then that lets you kind of determine how you're going to roll guys out for the second right, game you know, a little bit better. If he gave you tonight's start Monday during the day game, you could save most of your bullpen for the, for the nightcap. Right. So I'd start there. Um, and then I think you kind of have to try to avoid Gazelman and Lugo on, or at least one of them on Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday and preferably avoid both of them on Sunday. Uh, cause it, my thought was kind of, a to not throw anybody too far out of their rhythm, um, a, a kind of a triple piggyback, uh, you know, a, a glorified bullpen game for the second game where, uh, you know, you have Flexen go out there, uh, plan for him to give you two innings, uh, and maybe not even the first two, but plan for two each from <clears throat> Flexen, Gazelman, and Lugo, and that's only six. But again, you know you can kind of play around with it. Uh, I think that's my approach as opposed to just saying have Flexen start the game and then figure it out uh, from there. And the downside of this plan is that, again, you have to kind of be conservative with using uh, Gazelman and Lugo, uh, you know, the day before uh, in the other game of the doubleheader and the day after. You know, so I I hate the idea of losing them both for three games just to have them pitch in one. But if they throw two innings, then maybe one of them could pitch Sunday for one and Monday for two, and the other one could pitch, you know, two on Monday, 
one on Tuesday. It, it's it's a tricky spot, you know. Uh, I, am I no, overthinking no, it? I, Is the answer <laughs> the opposite here? Like, just start flexing and no, it's a baseball I, I game? I think you have the right idea. So I'm trying to figure out whose throw day Monday would be. Um, so it depends. It, it, it's, it's probably Cinder, it's probably right? Cinder yeah. guard, so right? My yeah. plan, just to be creative about this, would be to try and get two innings out of at least Gazelman and Lugo, and then to try and get two innings out of Cindergard as well on his throw day. And so basically. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not saying my plan is definitely better than yours, but Cindergard is better than Flexen. <laughs> so if you're comfortable, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm making think? a hot take here. <laughs> I, I'm aware of that. But you know, if, if you're willing to let him throw on his throw, if you're let him, willing to let him pitch on his throw day, then I think that that's a a fair way to try and both save the bullpen and maximize what you have at your disposal. I think you could also probably. Get it, because you know we haven't talked about the sort of twenty sixth man that you can call up for a, a double header, and I don't know if there's anybody necessarily right on the tip of my tongue. I don't know, you know, they uh, the Mets just recently signed Aaron Laffey because twenty thirteen is back, baby, and uh, so you know maybe <laughs> maybe you call him up. There's a guy that can eat a couple of innings too, and you uh, it, look. The, the reality of it is the second game of a double header. I don't know exactly how. Uh, how can I put this? I, I feel like the second game of a doubleheader is oftentimes kind of a wash because both teams are pretty tired. So if if the Mets are, are clearly losing the game, then I have no problem letting Flexen or Laffy go longer than the ideal situation. But if the Mets are still competitive in the game, you don't want to blow out one of your relievers. You don't want to leave a subpar pitcher out there. So I think having the uh, having that Gazelman, Lugo, Syndergaard, and then insert Flexen or Laffey or Oswalt, Maybe you know, Oswalt. in here, I, I, that's the way I would go. And, and I, w- I would let that last guy go two or three innings and maybe limit what the other guys are doing if they're not looking great. You know, if Syndergaard labors through his one inning, do not set him out there for a second inning. That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. For a twenty sixth man, I'm certainly going with the pitcher. Yeah, for the day, or however the rule. I'm rusty on it. Is it that he's available for one of the games? I don't or both? remember. I, you I really forget. only need him for the one game, right? Yeah, and if 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 you know Degrom gets shelled or some crazy thing in the first game, then right, just yeah. whatever. <laughs> forget the whole doubleheader. But uh, you know, if if things go according to plan. Uh, and the one thing I would do too, I'm sure they will announce a starter, and they might even announce like their full intention uh, going into it. But to mess with the Braves just as much as you can with this sort of thing, I wouldn't really give any info other than, well, this guy is starting. The end. Yeah. You know, let everybody guess. It doesn't have to be public information. Would you ever consider doing just a straight bullpen game? Uh... I mean, given the format of the bullpen, it's kind of it's not that different from what we're talking about. And especially if you had, you know, 
what, nine relievers <laughs> up for the day. <laughs> you, you could do it, but then, you know, you wouldn't want them all to pitch in, in the second game if a couple of them have right. to pitch in the first one. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'd consider it, yes, in isolation, but I don't think it's ideal for this Monday. That's fair. I mean, I think we all have to just hope that DeGrom goes seven or eight innings in the opening game of the series, and or in the first game of the day, rather, and uh, and gives the bullpen a break so that that bullpen game is possible. Because you know, I, I forget when it was now, but I went to a doubleheader in the 90s, let's call it 98 maybe, where the first game the Mets used every reliever on their staff. <laughs> Because it was a, it was yeah. a terrible game, <laughs> and I remember you know just thinking about do I really want to stay for the second game where all those p- pitchers are going to have to pitch again, and it's, it's an ugly scene. So if they can avoid that somehow, that'd be very very good. Yes, it would. Um, and it, to to your uh, point there a minute ago, it is also the yes. first game of the series, so you know it kind of puts you in a. A spot to set the tone. It, you know, we, people might be looking at the Mets schedule and thinking, "Oh, wow, they've got you know eight games in the next seven days." And the Brewers have been a pretty good team. And the Braves obviously have been in a pretty good team. Uh, you know, this feels overwhelming. But the Braves also have to play those four games in three days. Uh, you know, and, and getting out and setting the tone. It, like, if that first game can be. Just like the picture-perfect Mets game, DeGrom goes seven or eight innings. Uh, you know, the offense just jumps all over whoever starts the, that day for the Braves. Uh, and, you know, the Braves have to deplete, uh, deplete sorry, their bullpen. You know, just if we could use one game as, like, the awesome everything-goes-right game, it's that one. Yes. I agree. So th- this has sort of been one of the uh, one of the themes of our podcast this year. So we've had the Mets have gone four and two in the six games since we last recorded. More than likely, we're gonna have eight games before our next recording. What do you think the Mets are gonna do in the next eight games? I don't say eight. No, you give us give us a uh, give us a legit production here. I, I mean. Could I, I could right. be right if I said that. <laughs> um, hmm. Realistically, ah, let me say five and three. I know predicting anything good happening in Atlanta is a dangerous thing, but let me just—I'll go on, on. Is that a good optimistic take here? A, a sure. winning road trip, but sure. not a resounding one. I'm going to take it just slightly more down because that's what I do on this show. Uh, I'm going to say four and four. I'm going to say they split both series. Okay, that wouldn't be the no, end of the it world. Be the end of the world. Um, I think. I think something that's undervalued right now is uh, hanging around yeah, above five hundred. Status quo right now is good. Um. I think right. that uh, I mean the other thing to consider is that there there's a very good chance that Frazier is back before the end of these next eight games. I I, I think there's less of a yeah, chance that Cesp- that uh, Cespedes is back, but that's certainly not I would agree outside the realm of possibility. 
I guess. Um, you know, so who knows? And if uh, there are so many things that could go wrong or right over these eight games, obviously, but if we got another decent Vargas start, that would be a, that would go a long way towards making me feel better about these eight games, especially because we're gonna have probably two Vargas starts in there. So, so if one of those is good, yeah, that would be a nice thing. Yeah, and I think one of the upsides of the stretch too is just that it's nice as a fan, uh, you know, as a player, it might not feel this way, but as a fan, it's nice. There's always a game yes. tomorrow, you know. Even tonight, if tomorrow was a Thursday off day and we had to wait until Friday night for a game, and you know they come off the dis- this disappointing loss, there's something about the rhythm of, of a season um, that baseball has that nobody else, you know, no other sport does. Just this uh, sort of natural. You're you're forced to turn the page. You know, there's another exactly. game tomorrow. And in this case, that's true for um, quite a while. Is there next <laughs> off day, Monday the 3rd? Monday the 4th, uh, sorry. Monday, Monday the 4th, fourth, fourth, yeah. 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 So, yeah, uh, that feels like a good thing right now. Um, you know, if things go terribly wrong over the next 12 games, then uh, come back and tell <laughs> me, but... <laughs> Right, personally, I just like that there's a game tomorrow. And I'm, on Sunday, there's two games tomorrow. So, you know. Yeah. That works for me. Hey, everyone. This is Steve Saipa, and I'm back to go for our Mono League Plays of the Week. Now, we just finished week six, which was May 13th to the 19th, and Las Vegas went 3-3, three and three, which puts them at 17-26 and 26 for the season, which is seven games behind the Salt Lake Bees. Binghamton Rumble Ponies went 5-2, and two, and they had a game postponed, and they are 21-19 and 19 for the year, which is five and a half games behind the Trenton Thunder for first. St. Lucie had terrible weather the entire week. They only played three games. But they did go 2-1 and one in those three games, and that leaves them at 17-20 and 20 for the year, which is 7.5 games behind the Jupiter Hammerheads. And finally, the Columbia Fireflies. They went 4-2, and two, and they are 22-19 and 19 on the year, which is 4.5 games behind the Augusta Green Jackets. Now, getting to our pitcher of the week. Yet again, it's another Columbia Fireflies pitcher. This week, it is right-handed Joe Cavallaro. Cavallaro made one start this week. He went seven innings, allowing a run on four hits. He walked two, and he struck out a career-high nine. So in his first start this year, he set a professional high with eight strikeouts. And a few starts later, and now he has a new professional high, nine strikeouts. He's really has been striking out guys in bunches over the first couple of weeks. Um, he, he currently has 44 strikeouts, which is 9.7 per uh, nine innings. And that's something of a surprise because when he was used as a starter um, in his freshman year and his sophomore year at the University of South Florida, he didn't really put up great strikeout numbers. Not bad, but not as good as he is right now. And he's not exactly an overpowering pitcher. His The biggest knock on him would be his fastball velocity. It sits in the mid to high 80s, hits the low 90s occasionally. It sits about 86 to 91. 
But despite the lack of velocity there, what makes Cavallaro effective is that he throws sidearm. And the arm slot and the leg kick really hide the ball, and it makes it pretty hard for batters to pick up on. And his secondary pitch, his main secondary pitch is his slider. And again, with an arm slot like like his, sliders work well. So when um, Cavallaro has his slider going, it sits in the low 80s with sharp break. But sometimes it's uh, a little frisbee-like, a little too sweepy when he gets under the pitch. And he also throws a change-up. Um, but by and large, the slider is his primary weapon against especially against right-handed batters, but mostly against left-handers too. If he can refine the changeup a bit more and make it more effective regard, with regard to left-handed hitters, um, he might be able to remain a starter for a few more years. But ultimately, I think it's unlikely that he keeps up you know, this run of success. And I think that it's unlikely that he remains a starting pitcher. But the thing is, I think he he might have major league upside because his delivery is kind of, you know, it's very tough on right-handers. And the the fastball-slutter combination is really tough on right-handers from that angle. And he could have a future as a a ballpoint piece as a kind of right-handed specialist. Only time will tell, obviously. But he's a guy to... Keep an eye on. You don't necessarily need to pay very much attention, but in a couple of years, he could be up there. And now, our hitter of the week. Uh, We've had a a pitcher get repeat honors so far this season, and now this is the first time that a hitter is going to be doing so. Given how hot this guy's bat is and all the talk about him the last couple of weeks, there's basically only two guys that this could possibly be. And it is Jeff McNeil. He went 18, excuse me, he went 15 for 28, with two doubles, a home run, oh, excuse me, two doubles, a triple, five home runs, 11 RBI, no walks, and two strikeouts. So when McNeil was hitter of the week um, two weeks ago, he was hitting a pretty robust 284, 384, 662, uh, with six home runs, nine walks, 10 strikeouts. At the time, I was basically saying about McNeil that he needed to start separating himself from the pack of middle relievers, middle infielders in the upper minors if he wanted to earn himself a shot at getting playing time. And in the two weeks since then, he's he's done exactly that. He's hit a tremendous 381, 426, 778, hitting for the first cycle in Binghamton Rumble Ponies history, and he was just named Eastern League Player of the Week. So the Mets... Current 40-man roster includes the following players that are middle infielders. There's Estrubal Cabrera, there's Gavin Caccini, there's Phil Evans, Wilmer Flores, Luis Guillerme, Jose Reyes, TJ Rivera, and Ahmed Rosario. Obviously, Cabrera, Flores, and Rosario are important cogs to the Major League team, so they're not going anywhere barring injury or some kind of unforeseen trade or something like that. Rivera is on the 60-day DL recovering from Tommy John, uh, he underwent that last September, so he's not going to get back onto the field at least until the end of the season, if at all. So that leaves Cheech, Evans, Guillaume, and Reyes as the players that McNeil would be competing for for playing time and a spot on the 40-man. So is McNeil more valuable than Cheech? 
um, the organization is kind of down on him. But at the same time, there really hasn't been too much buzz about McNeil either, even taking into account the start. So with Cheech, uh, basically, you know, after adjusting his swing, uh, he hit a pretty solid 325, 390 for 48 with the 51s. Then he had a down year in 2017. And the, over the past winter, he basically reviewed some video and was doing his best to eliminate bad habits that he developed. And he retooled his swing to more closely resemble the one that he had from 2016. And even though the season is young, he's doing it somewhat. He's hitting 294, 342, 468 through 30 games right now. Um... He also got hit in the foot a couple of days ago, and although it kind of looked minor and it wasn't broken, he's being brought in for some more tests. So he might be at a commission in the foreseeable future. But even if he wasn't, and let's say that he was fully healthy, given his defensive limitations, um, you know, it, it would be imperative for him to keep hitting, and you never know with him, because as Good as he is sometimes, inexplicably, he also becomes bad. So given the fact that McNeil could hit for average, like Cheech, but can also hit for power and play similar positions, it would seem that McNeil is the more valuable one at the present. Moving on now, is McNeil more valuable than Evans? Uh, Evans was coming off of three seasons in 2013, 2014, and 2015, where he had 250 or below but then bounced back in 2016 when he won the Eastern League batting title. And last season hit 279, 341, 418 with the 51s, and then 303, 395, 364 unlimited bats with the Mets. And so there's a clear, a clear turnaround, you could see. And the numbers are not really an illusion because he did start changing the way that he was hitting. Um, he was spraying the ball started spraying the ball all over the field a little bit more and he started showing a little bit more power on his pull side now mcneil and evans profiled pretty similarly actually they both have been hitting for average of late they both can hit for a little power they both are older prospects and they have similar profiles with the major difference being that evans is already on the 40 man whereas mcneil is not so you need to make a decision would the skills that McNeil has, being similar that they are to Evans, be better than what Evans could conceivably produce? Given that Evans has hit decently in the major leagues already, albeit in limited bats, I don't see the team making a swap with the two of them. Now, is McNeil more valuable than Luis Guillorme? Um, Guillorme made his debut as a pinch runner on May 11th, but he got his first at-bat a couple of days later and got his first hit. And then a couple of days later, he got another hit. And then his third hit. And then his four hit. And while it's been uh, a pretty... Sh well, not a pretty. An extremely short sample size in an extremely limited number of bats. Guillermo hasn't really missed a beat uh, after starting out the season hitting 300 with the 51s. And his hits aren't, you know, coming off of nobody's either. Three singles came off of, of uh, J.A. Happ, Deck McGuire, and Aaron Nola. And then he hit a double that came off of Archie Bradley. And the thing is, obviously, Guillermo isn't going to continue hitting 400. But he is showing that he could hang with the major leaguers. And that's basically all he really needs to do, given how amazing his defense is. 
So with McNeil and Guillerme, I think the question becomes, does Guillerme's bat cool off to the point that even his defensive abilities are no longer providing value that McNeil's bat could? And now is McNeil more valuable than Jose Reyes? Um, as of this recording, Jose Reyes is not hitting at all. Uh, <laughs> that's an understatement, I guess. Uh, I was excited when Reyes first returned to the team, and for parts of last season, the year before, it looked like he kind of found his old mojo, but he looks like toast right now. Um, he was resigned. He was resigned this past season partially, and maybe even mostly because Ahmed Rosario lobbied for it. Um, they're close friends, and Rosario views Reyes as kind of a, a mentor. But it brings up the question, at what point does the ambiguous value of Reyes mentoring a younger player get washed away by the fact that he just isn't producing any positive value on the field? And I don't have a question. I, I don't have an answer for that, obviously. But there is some value to Reyes mentoring Rosario, but... When you're hitting, you know, terribly like he is, you have to start to look elsewhere to get value. So those are our minor league Mets minor league players of the week. Uh, check back in next week, and we'll go over the hottest hitters and the hottest pitchers in the system. audio it's really late after the Mets lost on Tuesday night to the Miami Marlins it was not a good offensive showing uh Jose Bautista got a double in his first at bat he came around to score because Tomas Nito actually did something and hit a sack fly but it wasn't enough the Mets gave up five runs Zach Wheeler was just okay AJ Ramos did AJ Ramos things. He gave a walk and a home run, put the game out of reach, and the Mets' four-game win streak is over. Hopefully, it'll continue. Not continue. Hopefully, the Mets will get back to their winning ways on Wednesday. But the big news today was the signing of Jose Bautista. He is a veteran outfielder slash third baseman who played, did a lot of great things for the Blue Jays and was re- most recently on the Atlanta Braves before getting cut because they decided they'd rather put uh, Johan Camargo at third base and just not deal with Bautista, although he did hit two home runs with the Braves. Apparently, he was not happy coming off the bench, so that is a big point of contention for Mets fans because they don't want to see... Bautista starting every day. He shouldn't really be in the lineup at all against right-handed pitching because the Mets have those three left-handed outfielders with Ioannis Cespedes on the disabled list. There's no real clear question or answer about when he's coming off the disabled list. So you have Brandon Nimmo, Jay Bruce, Michael Conforto. All those guys are left-handed. Two of them can play center field. Nimmo, you'd like to see in center field leading off every day because he's been so good at getting on base. Michael Conforto looks like he's coming around, and that's why the Mets did the smart thing, and they sat Jay Bruce when they miraculously insert Bautista into the starting lineup on Tuesday night, which was pretty amazing since we learned about the trade around 
five o'clock. Uh, turns out it was do, it was done around two thirty, but still it was ridiculous for Bautista to fly from Tampa to New York, get to Queens, into the starting lineup, batting fifth, and then he hits hits a double on Tuesday. So that was that was something, and and uh, it, it definitely surprised some fans that Bruce was the odd man out. So it'll it'll be interesting to see in the short term how the Mets. Lineup plays out. I don't think Nimmo and Conforto will be starting all the time against lefties. They'll probably rotate Bautista in when left-handed pitchers are on the mound, but he shouldn't be playing when a right-hander's on the mound. But he was said to have issues coming off the bench, so we'll see what happens with that. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Bautista, as, as recently as two years ago in 2016, was a productive player, but he's 37 years old now. He's coming off uh, his worst season in a while last year. He's basically a right-handed version of Adrian Gonzalez. Gonzalez is pretty much average. He hit a double tonight, but he's got about, uh, well, before that, he had a 99 WRC+, plus, uh, war around zero. So Gonzalez is basically just like a first baseman you pick off of, off the street, which is what the Mets did with him. They're playing the league minimum. They're also playing Bautista the league minimum. And neither of them are our ideal options. Uh, hopefully, Bautista plays less than Gonzalez does with uh, Gonzalez playing time with Flores at first base. But the difference is Gonzalez on the long side of the platoon. And uh, he could still pick it a little bit at first base. But uh, neither of these guys contributing to the Mets' defensive efforts. The Mets are just uh, still... Uh, Sometimes tough to watch on defense, especially when Jose Reyes is playing third base. He made a really awful play today trying to field a bunt when uh, he just didn't know what to do with the ball and then threw it low to first base. It was bad. Jose Reyes continues to be very bad. And uh, the Mets maybe are closer to getting rid of him. If if Ioannis Cespedes came off the DL, Mets would have to make a roster move. So maybe they'd keep Bautista and finally get rid of Reyes. But we don't know if that is going to happen because we don't know when Cespedes is going to be healthy again. But I just think Mets fans are overreacting a little bit to the Bautista news. Some people like it. Some people think it's the worst thing ever because he's going to be blocking some of the young guys. But at least for now, it looks like Mickey Calloway realizes what he has in Nimmo and Conforto and that these are... Two rising, uh, rising if not stars, and rising productive players who should be in the lineup more often than not. And hopefully that will continue to be the case, because if that's the case, I don't think anyone would have a problem if Bautista and Bruce turn into a platoon, because neither of those guys you know, looks like a very good player right now. So hopefully that will be the case. It's been Aaron York from Amazing Avenue Audio. Folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening, and happy birthday, Big Sexy. We miss you, Bartolo. Come back soon. You can go to AmazingAvenue.com to read a birthday celebration of Bartolo Colon or any number of other great pieces 
We've had some really, really great stuff lately. We have a nice point-counterpoint on the Bautista signing, and a few other really, really good things coming up this week. I can't recommend Amazing Avenue enough. Long before I worked there, I was a avid reader, and I remain to be one to this day. So go to AmazingAvenue.com, check out all that is there. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Amazing Avenue. Please go to blogtalkradio.com, where you can download this show directly, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. Wherever you get it, though, please rate, review, and subscribe in Apple Podcasts. That really does help us out, so we appreciate the help. Uh, we are working on getting a new email address, but for now you can tweet at us with our question, with your questions. rather. Uh, you can either tweet at Amazing Avenue, or you can tweet to one of our contributors. I am at Brian Needs a Nap, Chris is at Chris McShane, Steve is at Steve Saipa, and Aaron is at Aaron P. York. So, the Mets are going to have a bunch of games coming up without an off day. It's going to be a pretty exciting week of baseball, I hope. Hopefully some good games, hopefully some more Mets wins, and hopefully some uh, some starting pitching that can, that can, you know, win a game as opposed to having it blown in the ninth inning. Sorry, still bitter. Until next time, let's go Mets.